This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. to the Swamp 24-7 Podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with my co-host Blake Alderman. Blake, uh, we're sitting here, another Sunday episode of the podcast, another loss for the Florida Gators. Uh, I think it's safe to say that neither you nor I necessarily saw this one coming. I think we knew it was a possibility, but quite frankly, Blake, I think both of us assumed that Florida, after last year's disaster against an undermanned LSU team, would basically show up and be ready to play. And I guess in some ways they were, you know, obviously they cleaned up the penalty issues that they had on the road last time out at Kentucky, but like not nearly enough on Saturday, Florida falls 49 to 42 to LSU and coach Ed Orgeron, a, a guy that was on the hot seat himself going into the game. I guess Blake, what we've got to do today on the podcast is kind of try to put the pieces <clears throat> together and figure out how did we get here? And so I think maybe the best way to do that is for us to kind of attack this thing step by step, look at what's gone on in the Florida program, uh, not just, you know, this year, but kind of bigger picture. And um, I guess the best way to do that, Blake, is let's let's start and and kind of work from this LSU game and then build that bigger picture going forward. So I guess watching the game yesterday, was there anything that stuck out to you? I mean, I know that both you and I sat on this podcast and kind of predicted that Florida should be able to win this game relatively easily. Neither of us saw Florida not being able to run the ball. Neither of us saw LSU <laughs> a team that was fourth to last in the country coming into the game, running the football, being able to just run all day. What I guess about this game, did we get wrong? I think you just hit the nail on the head, you know, <laughs> everything, just the fact that LSU struggled to run the ball. We thought that the X factor of the game for Florida would be running the ball. You know, I think that Anthony Richardson came in, obviously had some mistakes, but you know, he's a young player, but I think for the most part, he, he gave the offense some juice. You know, he kind of revitalized things. He really was able to stretch the field. That's not something we've seen Florida do for a while. But in that defensive performance, you know, giving up, you know, the most rushing yards they've ever given to a to a running back um, in program history, um, the most points that LSU's ever scored in this matchup between the two. You know, that's just, uh, you know, that was really the, the nail in the coffin for Florida, not being able to stop like what two two different kind of plays out of different sets. That counter play that that, that pretty much just ate Florida up. You know, the entire day, and it just seemed like the defensive staff and the coaching staff really didn't have any answers to stop that. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, that's where I think things get really, really concerning for Florida fans is we sat on this podcast and, and really for the last least two weeks, three weeks, maybe have kind of been given Todd Grantham some credit for at least statistically improving the defense. Right. And I guess some of that was probably smoke and mirrors. I mean, you can look at the Vanderbilt game and say, yeah, they pitched a shutout, but again, Vanderbilt missed three field goals. They had a chance in the low red zone down from the one yard line, a play that it looked like maybe they had a touchdown on. Um, so I guess the, you know, the numbers were kind of misleading and I think there were plenty of fans, Blake. Uh, I want to go ahead and point this out. There were a lot of fans in the fan base that saw issues with the defense, even with the improved numbers. 
you know, over the last couple of weeks and said, hey, you know, wait till we play a good team. And like, I don't think LSU was a good team. And that's that's ultimately where, you know, a lot of this concern about where the program is at right now is going to emerge. And we'll, we'll unpack that in a little bit. But I guess I guess the more important question, Blake, is both you and I picked Florida to win this game. We picked them to figure things out, given the backdrop of how last year's game played out. Should we be surprised at this point that we were wrong? You know what I'm saying? Like, I kind of feel like I'm, I, I've been almost overly defensive of Dan Mullen. And, and, and I guess kind of the way I've approached it on this podcast is what I've tried to do is, you know, when Dan Mullen's making these decisions on the quarterback position, which we'll talk about a little bit, when he's making the decision to retain Todd Grantham after last year, I guess the way I've approached it is I've kind of given Mullen the benefit of the doubt for the most part. And what I've tried to do on this podcast is explain more where I think Dan Mullen's coming from rather than necessarily offering a perspective on whether or not that was the right move or the wrong move. And I think what we're seeing now is we probably shouldn't be surprised, I guess. And, and I, I guess I didn't really let you answer that question. Should we have been caught off guard by this type of performance against LSU? You know, I think so. I still think you should be caught off guard when you have that many players out. I mean, I know it happened last year, um, you know, with kind of the same storylines of guys being out. But, you know, this was a game that Florida had no business losing. You know, they had every matchup favoring their way. Um, you know, I guess you can always be surprised and not be surprised just because, you know, football can happen. You know, I mean, LSU came out. We, I, I thought that I guess my biggest surprise is that I thought that if Florida got out early, that LSU would want to quit. You know, just the mm -hmm. fact they've had all these you know, noise in the systems, you know, the, the hot seat that Ed Orgeron's on, but I thought they came out and, you know, they, they were, they were playing inspired. So I guess that was the biggest surprise for me was that, you know, even though Florida came out and scored on that drive early on to take that lead um, LSU really never quit, you know, and obviously giving them, giving them that many turnovers, you know, that's what gives you juice on the, on the sidelines. Yeah. And that's what Florida did. I mean, Florida really played right into their hands. So, I mean, there were some things I was surprised about, some things that I guess we shouldn't be surprised about, but I mean, in the big picture, that's a game that Florida should have never lost, you know, having, all I, I guess, guys I guess when I say surprise, I guess what I'm getting at more is, you know, I guess the, the heart of the issue when I say, should we be surprised is, is this kind of who Dan Mullen's team is at this point? Is this who the program is where you're going to have to expect against teams that have at least equal and, and LSU on paper, I think doesn't have equal talent to Florida if we're using the 24-7 team composite, certainly, Blake, when you look at the number of key guys they had out, you would say a lesser talented team. And I think that's why we went into this game expecting Florida would take care of business. Because at least in my mind, there's been this idea that Dan Mullen, you know, all things equal, he's a good enough coach, is going to scheme well enough, you know, that he's going to be able to make things happen. And I guess, I guess probably where we need to question things a little bit is, look, man, this happened the same exact thing against an LSU team that was very depleted a year ago. It happened. It happened against Kentucky two weeks ago, a game that you really probably, if things are going well in the program and you're playing up to quote unquote, that Gator standard, those are games you win. And I guess this is the second year in a row now where it's looking like more, I guess this is the norm. And I guess, I guess we're really what we need to break down on this podcast is, is that the norm? If it is, obviously, I think we can probably agree without a whole lot of discussion that that's not good enough at Florida, right? That Florida should not be a team that is scrapping to have to win or, or to not lose more than four games. And right now, that's where Florida is. That's what happened last year, even with a really, really good cast with Kyle Trask, Kadarius Tony, Kyle Pitts, and all those guys. Um, I, I think 
one of the things real quickly, like just on this LSU game, you mentioned the turnovers. Obviously, you're not going to win many games, you know, turning the ball over as much as you did. But I, I do think there was merit to the idea that Florida needed to go in and start early. You know, we talked about it. And, and I thought initially they did well. You pointed out the drive, they go down and score. But the, the, one of the bigger issues I have with Dan Mullen's program right now is it seems like every time Florida does something well, they take a step back. And, and that's not just like within games. That's like bigger picture, right? Like Florida goes out and, and they respond from that Texas A&M loss. Well, last year went all the way out. And then inexplicably, you had the LSU setback. You know, yesterday you go out, you know, you need to start strong. You know, you've got a team against LSU that, that may lay down on you. If you get out to a big early lead, you go out, you score a quick touchdown, and then the extra point gets blocked. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's very little consistency in stringing t- things together. And I'm curious to get your take on why that is. For me, I don't know if there's like a primary cause, but I think the fact that you have so many issues is indicative of more of a program problem rather than just a 2021 team problem, right? Because this is stretching across two seasons now, right? The defense was horrible last year. um, And then even when the defense was horrible, and played poorly, sometimes you'd still have something ridiculous breakdown where you need a shoe toss to actually lose the game. My concern is those kind of things are becoming more frequent, right? Like this seems to be happening with more regularity now. Um, and so you can look at the four turnovers and say, yeah, we're not going to win many games with four turnovers. But you can also look at it and say, yeah, we probably should have known the defense was going to be an issue against more talented teams. Or, yeah, we probably should have known that if we, you know, if we stuck with Emory Jones that long and didn't give Anthony Richardson more snaps, that we may run into a situation where, guess what, Emory's upside against high, te- you know, higher profile teams, more talented teams still isn't there. And this is the issue we run into. I think Florida's there now. Uh, I asked Dan Mullen kind of about does it say something that your program is having so many different things break down, whether it's special teams, whether it's penalties, whether it's the defense not being able to shut down simple counter and, and uh, you know, zone insert in, in the run game. And Blake, to me, when you have that many problems, it, it highlights the recruiting deficiencies that we've seen. Um, but it also, to me, speaks to this is, this is maybe, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, this is maybe a bigger problem than just the 2021 team. Am I fair in saying that? I don't think, I think that's fair. Okay, so we'll get into this a little bit in the second half. I'm not sure whether we should attack quarterbacks first. Let, let's go ahead and attack quarterbacks because I think from the quarterback standpoint, you can look at that in the LSU game and I think at least make a, a decent case that by Florida waiting so long to kind of get Anthony Richardson more up to full go, they cost themselves. And you can, you can even, I think, make that case in the LSU game. I know I asked you after one of the games earlier in the year, would the game have been different if Anthony Richardson played more? I think it was the Alabama game. It was. Where are you at? I'm not even going to ask this specifically, but where are you at when it comes to Dan Mullen's decision on the quarterback this year? Like, where are you at right now with what's happened so far? And what, what do you want to see going forward? I want to see Anthony Richardson going forward. I, you know, I think just looking at the offense and seeing how he was able to stretch the field, take some more shots downfield. That's not something we're seeing with Emory Jones on top of it being it's quicker whenever Anthony's in there, you know, when Emory's in there, it's kind of a long drawn out thing. You can tell he's kind of scanning the field and a lot of those throws are just behind, you know? So I think that going forward, it needs to be the Anthony Richardson show. Um, but I think leading up to that game, 
you know, the hamstring injury obviously kind of put a, a, it puts a little bit of a different perspective on it, but I think he should have been playing more. I think he should have been getting more snaps. You know, you look at the, it's, it's weird because you see, you know, the scripted snaps where Anthony comes in, you know, it's usually the third drive of the game. You, know, you brought that up. It just seems like it's just, he's trying really hard to fit him in there. And it's, and, and it's, and it's different whenever you see him come in because it's a lot of, you know, runs up the middle, you know, there's not really, I felt that whenever you've seen Anthony Richards come in in the past, it's kind of been like a cutesy drive. You know, you've never really seen him come out and try to really attack the defenses like he did whenever Emory got benched last week. Mm-hmm. You know, you come in and it, it's just it, – it doesn't seem like he's really trying to, you know, attack and stretch the field like he did once Emory got benched. You know, and I felt like those kind of plays really weren't playing up to Anthony's strengths whenever he played him in, you know, original drives. But once Emory got benched, I think that he really let Anthony get after it, you know, really kind of gave him the reins and said, you know, here, man, let's, let's, let's get this thing. So I think that going forward, you need to continue to play Anthony in the same way and scheme that they did whenever they benched him Emory. Yeah, I think you're hundred percent right. And I think that's one of the reasons that right or wrong fans are, fans are pretty frustrated. Like they'll give Dan Mullen credit for being a quarterback developer and all that and and we've explained I've explained on this podcast what I think Dan Mullen's thought process is with the quarterbacks in terms of protecting their confidence when they're young guys the fact that you know while it looks like Anthony Richardson may be just going in there and handing the ball off Dan Mullen's actually evaluating how he's reading the numbers in the box what he's seeing from the defense whether or not he makes the right check based on what they're showing those kind of things and then working on you know developing uh, I guess the proper recognition and all that through the tape, right? But you're right. It does seem like Anthony Richardson comes in the third series against LSU. Florida runs the ball three times, you know, and and ends up going three and out and having a punt. He comes back in, you know, first first throw after that's an interception. It just feels like, I, like you're saying, to, to your point, the scripted drives, it didn't feel like they were really giving him the full offense. And I made the comment on Twitter during the game yesterday you know, after he came back in following Emory's second interception, Florida immediately kind of went to some two back sets, two backs on, you know, back on either side of Anthony Richardson, a look that we haven't seen a whole lot this year, but that Florida talked about all off season as being something they could do. My opinion, Blake, was that maybe it looked like they were, they had some stuff that they've been working on, you know, for Georgia kind of throughout the season. And I would co- coaches do this all the time. They'll, you know, they'll have, stuff that they work on in the off season that they design for what they're going to view as kind of the, the big games of the year. Right. And what they'll do is they know that they're going to have a package that they're going to break out pretty much kind of only against this opponent. And you hope to maybe show one or two little glimpses of that package, like early in games so that they have to prepare for the look, but then you do build a lot of wrinkles off of it. Right. And, and you can catch teams off guard that way. To me, it felt like when Anthony Richardson was in there after Emory was benched for the second interception, it felt like Florida opened things up. And that's what you're talking about. To me, somebody somebody responded on Twitter, and I thought this was the great way to say it. At least how it felt was like at that point when Emory got benched after the second interception, it felt like Dan Mullen went to what they had as kind of the emergency situation, right? Use this stuff with Anthony Richardson only in case of emergency where you you break the glass and use in case of emergency. And suddenly that meant, you know, Anthony Richardson had some good creative looks that he was working with. Dan Mullen kind of got into a rhythm as a play caller and Florida goes and scores touchdowns on four straight drives. Your point, I think, you know, that needs to happen, but also the fact that that hasn't happened, Blake has led to a lot of frustration with the fans. And this is where, you know, I, again, I don't, 
necessarily myself personally question Dan Mullen's development process. And not that I don't have questions about it, but I'll kind of defer to him on that most, most of the time. The more decisions you see start to pile up where it seemed relatively obvious to the fan base that Anthony Richardson needed more snaps. You know, that Kyle Trask, after a game or two, was clearly the better option than Felipe Franks. Those start to build kind of this history of, of decisions that lead you to question what Dan Mullen's process was. And ultimately, if the end result plays out differently and Florida sitting here and only has one loss to Alabama, we're talking about it differently. But the bottom line is it hasn't played out that way. Florida sitting here four and three. And now you're looking at what's going wrong with this season. What, you know, you're looking at all these different things that maybe slide by if you're winning and in, in, in that kind of thing, but now aren't. And so, you know, to your point, I, Anthony Richardson's got to be the guy the rest of the way. I think Dan Mullen's hand has been forced. The question is, you know, is it too little too late? And I think that question applies not to the 2021 season. It's obviously too late for that, but I think it applies more to where the program's headed going forward. And I, I think, I think there's valid reason to have doubts about where the program is headed under Dan Mullen. So Blake, we we've talked about the LSU game a little bit. I want to get into the bigger picture because I think with a bye week, we've got plenty of time to dissect this. Um, you know, we can maybe begin the discussion today and then during the bye week have an episode where we talk about it a little bit more. But let's take a quick commercial break. And when we come back, let's talk about what has to happen from here for Dan Mullen to kind of turn things around in the program right after this break. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with my co-host, Blake Alderman. Blake, uh, we talked a little bit about the LSU game. I, I don't think that it is worth going into specifics a ton on that game, just because I think that that game was an embodiment of some of the bigger problems at Florida. Uh, let's start with a couple. I think first and foremost, let, let's, let's break down again kind of where the, the program's at. Florida's four and three. Florida lost four games last year, even with a really good surrounding cast. Blake, I'm just going to throw this out there, completely big picture for you. I, I had talked about after the Kentucky game on the podcast, and I believe you, you were on the road this weekend, uh, so I don't know if, if you had a chance to listen to it, but I talked about on the podcast after the Kentucky game kind of what Dan Mullen had to do to salvage year four, and I 
you know, basically what I said was it was basically hold serve. Even if you lose to Georgia, you got to have a year where it doesn't seem like you're taking a huge step backwards. Like if you can brand it as a rebuilding year with a new quarterback, you give some fans positivity going forward. You know, even with a subpar year, you can kind of extend your timeline a little bit, build some patience. What are the things that Dan Mullen has to do, Blake, at this point, knowing where Florida is four and three in year four, you've still got Georgia left. What, whether it's within the season or after the season, what does Dan Mullen have to do to convince you that he can still get it done at Florida, that he can still be the guy? Like, what are the concrete steps he has to take where you say, okay, I'm willing to see how this plays out from here at this point? You know, I think first and foremost, it goes back to Anthony Richardson being the guy this season. You know, I think that, you know, really letting him be the future and continue to build that confidence and get those playing snaps, I think is, you know, kind of the first step that I would make. You know, after the season, I think it's time to start looking at some of these staff changes. You know, I think when you look at, you know, Todd Grantham, there was a noise in the system last year coming off their defensive performance. It doesn't look like the ship has been completely righted. Um, So I think that, you know, taking a look at that defensive staff is probably the next step from there. And then going on, um, you know, I guess you have to go from there and see, you know, who that guy would be and, and, you know, continue to finish strong for that signing day, you know, the December early signing period, um, you know, need someone to recruit better. You know, I think that even whenever you see LSU, the fact that they had so many, you know, starters out and so many, you know, primary players out, you know, the fact that they've still been able to recruit really well, you know, you could still see that they still had some talent, you know, even though they weren't, you know, the starter type of guys. Um, and obviously, you know, you, you can't replace a Derek Stingley, but, you know, I think that they did a really good job, you know, recruiting over the last couple cycles, you know, you look at their, their rankings for there. Um, so, you know, it, it just came down to, they just had a lot of talent still, even though. Well, I mean, talent's the great equalizer, right? Like, you know, you can, you can get by with some penalties if you're talented enough to just beat the other team in front of you. And for the most part, you know, I, I guess that's probably too another area where some questions come in for fans is, you know, say what you will about Jim McElwain and, and certainly his numbers on paper recruiting wise, were not up to snuff. You know, we were having these same discussions about Jim McElwain not recruiting well enough, but his guys by and large panned out and and credit Dan Mullen and his staff for developing some of those guys, the Freddie Swains, Tyree Cleveland, Josh Hammonds, uh, you know, even turning Felipe Franks around to some degree. Uh, Dan Mullen and his staff get a lot of credit for that. But the concerning part, Blake, again, goes back to the trend. And this is what you're talking about with recruiting. You know, Florida goes from 10 wins to 11 wins to now you're losing four games. Now you're maybe losing four or more games again this year. It, the trend is the wrong direction the more Mullen has his own guys. And I think you're starting to see some of the depth problems play out. The O-line was a huge strength for the four, first four games of the season. Really has taken a step back. And yeah, there are reasons for that, right? Like all five starters have left the game at some point due to injury this season. But that's why, you know, you try to build depth. And when people talk about concerns with the way Florida's recruited on the O-line, that's where it shows up. It's not if you're starting five stays healthy. It's what happens if you need, you know, a sixth guy to go on. What happens if you need a seventh guy? What happens if you get to your eighth guy? And I think the fact that, you know, Florida wasn't able to survive some of those injuries and you're seeing the O-line now, again, is looking more like a liability than a strength. You just don't have enough other strengths to cover things up, right? And that goes back to what I was talking about early on, where it seems like for everything that goes right for Florida, there's something else breaking down elsewhere. Talent fixes a lot of that. So I think two two primary reasons for me are, are I guess, things that have to happen for me to feel like Dan Mullen can eventually win championships at Florida. You got to recruit better. Blanket statement, you need two to three more of those top 100 guys, you know, each class, in your class. You need true difference makers, and you need to just continue to recruit better across the board. And then, two, I think Dan Mullen's got to be a little bit less loyal to assistants. And this this goes for both 
recruiting because Florida has some, some assistants that aren't pulling their weight on the recruiting trail. And I think it goes to underperforming positions. There's no excuse for Florida special teams to be this bad for four straight seasons under Dan Mullen. It's cost you games multiple times. You know, another missed extra point yesterday that immediately, immediately halts some of the momentum right after you got out to an early lead. So those are the two things that I think have to happen for me to feel confident. And I don't have a high degree of confidence that either will happen. Um, I think taking it step by step, Blake, there's a couple things that I'm concerned about here. Number one, I think recruiting kind of comes from the top down. And we've talked about it some on this podcast, but we've probably beat around the bush a little bit. I think top down, I don't think the emphasis on recruiting at an elite level has been placed well enough by Dan Mullen. And uh, I'm not saying that Dan Mullen can't go on vacation. I'm not saying that. I'm not trying to make that argument. I think coaches need to have a work-life balance. But when you're paid $7.5 million a year, it's a bad look when you're taking vacation and it's not a dead period and, and other coaches are out there recruiting, talking to recruits. So I think the, the attitude from the top needs to get better. If Dan Mullen wants to talk about thumb wrestling and the Gator standard, you've got to be the one pushing the recruiting. Ultimately, the buck stops with you. So that's one of my number one problems. I don't know that that recruiting necessarily gets better if you just replace a couple assistant coaches, right? The second issue I have is Dan Mullen can be difficult to work for. That's, that's not a really disputed fact if you talk to a bunch of analysts around the country that have been around programs Dan Mullen has, has run, both at Mississippi State and at Florida. He's not the easiest guy to work for, and I think that's part of why he's been so loyal to so many staff members is when you get a guy that you are comfortable working with, even if there are some deficiencies, it can be more comfortable than hiring a guy you've never worked with before. And all of a sudden you have personalities clash and now you've got chemistry issues on the team. So not only is that a factor in some of this staff loyalty, but I think it's a risk factor if you do make changes. So even if Dan Mullen makes some of those recruiting change or staff changes, I'm not entirely convinced that's a fix all. So I guess when it boils down to it, like I, I kind of, I see really only one true way out. And this goes back to what you're saying with Anthony Richardson right now, where Florida's at already being in year four, where year four is going to end as a disappointing year. Even if you beat Georgia, you're still only going to be nine and three. There's going to be a lot of what ifs, right? No matter what, this is going to go down as a disappointing year. When you're coming off back to back disappointing years in year three and year four, the timeline's pretty short, right? And, and obviously Scott Strickland's decision as an athletics director is different than what we're talking about here. Ultimately, he can be as patient as he wants, but this program has enough problems to overcome, Blake, that I think it's not one simple fix. Maybe the one way out without Dan Mullen doing both staff changes and recruiting at a high level is you have a transcendent quarterback. And I think you can make the case, Blake, that if, if a guy like Anthony Richardson pans out, maybe you can cover up some of that other stuff. Maybe you get all the, you know, the balls to bounce your way in one season and you can have a championship run. Do you think that's possible that a guy like Richardson can make that happen? Or is that not going to be enough for Florida, even if that happens? Uh, it's possible because, you know, obviously if you have a really big X-factor quarterback, they can take you to different places. I don't think that the cast around him, you know, just if you just throw him out there as, you know, that transcendent quarterback, I don't think just him alone is going to be enough. You know, you need some of those, you know, top tier type of players 
Um, you know, like, like we've always said, you know, those top 100 type of guys, you need some of those guys around him. You need that supporting cast. And I think that he doesn't have that around him. So I think it makes it tough for that championship type of run. If you're just, you know, counting on him. I don't think there's any question. And that, and that goes back down to, you know, I, I talked about it last week on the podcast with, you know, David Wonderlick's point of Dan Mullen hasn't done enough to set up easy ways to expand the margin for error. Right. And what you're seeing right now is Florida has got a very low margin for error. You know, when Kentucky's able to beat you, when LSU is able to beat you, a very depleted LSU team, bottom line is you obviously don't have enough strengths to overcome what are weaknesses in a lot of areas. And so even if Dan Mullen shores those up, that's going to take time. And I think, I guess where I'm at right now, Blake, is I don't think it's impossible for Dan Mullen to either A, kind of catch lightning in a bottle with Anthony Richardson and that solves everything. I think that's a very low probability chance if that's the only thing you're banking on. So I think he's got to, he's got to have Anthony Richardson pan out and be a Heisman type guy. He's also got to make the changes going forward so that at the end of the day, even if Anthony Richardson is able to win a championship and buy you more time, you're going to have to find a way to do it again. One championship is not going to be enough at Florida. And, Ed Orgeron. and that's like, we're talking about like extreme optimistic viewpoint right here, right? Exactly. Ask Ed Orgeron. So I think you have to make the changes and you have to get some of those bounces to go your way. My concern is given the, given the issues I highlighted with Dan Mullen being a little bit difficult to work for, you don't know if even if he makes some of those staff changes, if they're going to work out. You don't know if even if he brings in some better recruiters as assistant coaches, if the directive from the top down is going to be enough to really get that full cohesive recruiting product, right? Like I just have my doubts about those two things. And so Given those doubts, what seems more likely to me, Blake, is that this thing has already kind of rolled downhill enough where it's almost going to be impossible to stop that snowball from picking up more steam. I, I just think, and I hate to call Dan Mullen stubborn, but that is the word that's being used in the fan base right now when it comes to the quarterback decisions, when it comes to the decision to retain Todd Grantham, when it comes to the decision not to prioritize recruiting and a more heavy manner right and right or wrong I think that's left Dan Mullen in a place he'd rather not be right where you're really having to try to stop that snowball from sliding downhill um Blake I'll open the floor to you because I, I don't want to monopolize the discussion but I feel like basically where I'm at is Dan Mullen has got to make the choices that one he has not made so far and two that are really really tough for the program and then they have to pan out pretty quickly. That's the problem with waiting till year four or after year four to make these changes that could have been made before. These recruiting issues, Blake, were not something that were not discussed as early as 2019. Now, we may have been discussing it then and saying, well, we'll just wait. You know, he replaced a couple assistants, South and Series out of there. Let's see how David Turner does that kind of thing. Blake, these aren't new issues. And that's what has eroded, I think, some of the patience that Dan Mullen might otherwise get. And I completely agree with everything you said, you know, even if you do change some of those assistants out of there, you know, if you're having the, you know, the, the June um, period where you have all those guys come in on a, on an official visits and, you know, you're taking off that last weekend, you know, no visitors this weekend, you know, we're going to go on vacation. You know, you can't have that happen. You know, there's coaches out there that are getting the job done. They're getting recruits in there. They're getting that last visit and those type of things just can't happen. You know? So I think that it's, it's something that, you know, like you said, from the top down, um, it's something they need to really evaluate. And I think that that won't change just from having a couple changes on the staff. 
So I think that, you know, really Dan Mullen taking a really hard look at, you know, how aggressive he wants to be on the trail. You know, you can't have, you know, other schools hosting big visitor weekends and Dan Mullen's out there on like, you know, what is it like a little surfboard, you know, on, on the lake. So you can't have those things happen. And, and again, I'm not saying I, I, and, I and actually, again, he's allowed to take vacations. Yeah. But, you know, I think that there are times when you could take that the entire month of July is a dead period. And you know, there are times yeah. where it makes sense for to take it, you know, not in June, whenever that you have, you know, limited visitor weekends. Right. Right. And I, and I, I will say like on a, on a personal level, I respect that Dan Mullen, you know, does carve out time for his family because I, I think dude, when you're a division one coach, it's really hard to no do doubt. that. And I have not no seen doubt. many coaches. I've seen coaches handle it the wrong way. And, and that, you know, that makes me sad on a human level, but you're paid seven and a half million dollars a year. And I think there's a time and a place for all those. And things. the bottom line is if you, if, if you don't want to feel the heat, you do everything that you can to maximize your program's potential. And Blake, the bottom line right now in year four with Dan Mullen, I think I can say with certainty that Florida has not maximized its potential. And no coach ever is. You're, you're going to miss on a recruit here or there. To me, it goes back to the effort that Dan Mullen talked about after that Missouri loss in year one. Are you going to want to compete just to compete? I've never seen Dan Mullen willing to compete just to want to compete on their recruiting trail. They'll do it here and there. They'll do it when it's convenient, right at the end of the cycle, you know, right before signing day, and they'll make those push. But it always leaves you wondering, what if they had done things a little bit sooner? What if they had made the change at quarterback a little bit sooner? What if they had made the change at defensive coordinator a little bit sooner? And right now, I, I think there's an argument to be made that Scott Strickland will be patient with Dan Mullen. I think the better argument to have is kind of what we're talking about here, is even if he's patient, one, has Dan Mullen earned that enough? And then two, even if you're patient, is that going to be enough? Because there's a lot of problems. And I keep going back to that. It's not one issue. And when you have a lot of issues and you're not putting forth you know, maximal effort, you deserve all of the criticism that you get. And Dan Mullen's going to deal with that. You know, Maybe Anthony Richardson is his saving grace. I certainly hope that we get a chance to find out. And I think if... <laughs> If Dan Mullen wants to run himself out of town any quicker than he needs to, the, the quickest way to do it is to, con to continue to not play Anthony Richardson. So I don't expect that to happen. I think at this point, Dan Mullen is smart enough to, to realize he's got one path here. You're four and three. Uh, you're probably going to lose to Georgia. I mean, you know, I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to get that wrong again, Blake. We, we've, we've given Florida the benefit of the doubt for the Kentucky game, the LSU game. I'm not doing it again. I think Florida is going to get manhandled there. Uh, I don't know that it'll make a big difference in the conversation that we're having now versus two weeks from now. Uh, I, I really, I thought this LSU game was the one that was going to swing things. And the reason I thought that was because of all the issues that showed up against LSU last year, all the issues that showed up against Kentucky two weeks ago. You could not afford to have that happen to where it begins to look like a trend. Because when that happens and the results are not on your side anymore, all those little things that people could live with when you were winning and you had an SEC championship berth on the line till the end of the season, or you had the chance to actually go out there and beat Alabama in an SEC title game, all that stuff, it, it kind of melts away. And now everybody's focused on the issue. So Blake, we've gone over a little bit on our time here. I think we'll end the episode there. We have a whole bye week to kind of go through some things. I know I'll be taking a, an in-depth look at where Florida's at, uh, with not just the season, but the bigger picture of the program during the bye week. And we'll get into Georgia, obviously. There won't be any media availability for Dan Mullen other than the SEC teleconference, which usually is a pretty worthwhile media event. So you're not going to get a whole lot of fresh content out of the Florida program. And unfortunately for Florida, 
that's exactly where you don't want to be heading into a bye week where you just lost a game that you shouldn't have. But here we are, and Dan Mullen, I think, in a lot of ways, has put himself here, Blake. So we'll see the rest of the way how it plays out. But I, I got to say, man, pretty disappointing result for Florida. And, you know, I, I don't know where else to leave it other than that. Yeah, I think you pretty much left it the right way. All right, guys. Well, that'll do it for today's episode of the Swamp 24-7 Podcast. We appreciate you tuning in. We don't have an exact date for the bye week yet. Uh, I'll try to put something out on Twitter when we decide when we're going to record the next episode. Uh, probably will end up being midweek, either Wednesday or Thursday, and then we'll jump back in uh, probably on Monday or Tuesday of next week after we get a chance to talk to Dan Mullen. And we'll bring you up to speed with any of the changes that Florida's making, whether or not Dan Mullen's actually willing to name Anthony Richardson his starting quarterback. But we'll have all that next week, guys. We appreciate you tuning in. That will do it for today's episode of the Swamp 24-7 Podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.